I'm excited to share this morning. I really uh, appreciated Kelly Joe's word today because I feel like it, it dovetails well with what I feel the Lord has for me to share. So thanks, Kelly, for sharing that. Uh, I think it's really great. Um, what I want to share this morning, and I just, I just have this sense, and we're going to work through this passage here in Mark 9, um, but uh, I titled my message today, and I'm calling it Our Time, and um, I want us to um, explore um, some passages here, but I feel like there's something important about this time right now, and something important for us, and so I am calling it Our Time. Today, I want to uh, start by sharing out of uh, Matthew chapter 9, and I just want to read the last three verses of of Matthew chapter 9. Read it with me. Uh, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, this area where he was ministering, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. I want to start today by focusing on this middle verse that talks about Jesus's looking, and it says that he had compassion. It said he looked, he saw the crowds, and he had compassion on them. This compassion word, this, it's, a, it's a really strong word. It's a really powerful word. It's, like, it, it's used to describe like your bowels, like your heart, where, where your love and your empathy and this, this deep area of feeling resides. Jesus has this compassion. He views them as people that were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This is how Jesus is looking at the people that he's around. These are the eyes through which Jesus is walking around. This is the lens that Jesus is viewing the world from. He's viewing this world from a place of compassion. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has some commentary on this passage. I'm going to read it in just a second. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, he was a a German minister who was incarcerated during World War II. He was incarcerated in Dachau. Um, He was against what Hitler was doing and was therefore a political prisoner uh, incarcerated. And uh, he was killed at Dachau um, days before Dachau was freed. Um, so he was very close to being freed, but he never was. And uh, so he's, he wrote this book, uh, and he's, he's done a lot of different writing, but he has some commentary on this verse. And so I just wanted to read that for you. He says this, God's beloved people had been ill-treated and laid low, and the guilt belonged to those who had failed to minister to them in the service of God. The Romans had not done this, but the chosen ministers of the word and their misuse of that word. There were no longer any shepherds in Israel. No one led the flock to fresh waters to quench their thirst. No one protected them from the wolf. They were harassed, wounded, and distraught under the dire rod of their shepherds and lay prostrate upon the ground. Such was the condition of the people when Jesus came. It's interesting to 
hear that larger commentary. Dietrich's making a commentary on the times. He's making a commentary on the religious uh, leaders of the day. He's making a commentary on were there shepherds in Israel? Were there people who were walking and living with the lens of the Lord, the lens of compassion? If you look in the Old Testament, you see the God of the Old Testament described as a God of compassion as well. When Moses has this encounter with God, God, I want to see you, and goes up on the mountain to see the Lord, the Lord passes by, and it says in Exodus 34, the Lord passes in front of Moses and calls out his identity. That's what this verse says. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh, the Lord. And this is what the Lord's calling himself, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. There's deeper stuff here that I'm not going to be able to get all into, but it's, it's really amazing. We'll keep going. Moses says this, Moses does this, immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped and said, oh Lord, if it's true that I found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. The Lord replied, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. I feel like there's, there's this foreshadowing of Jesus doing the same exact thing here that's being described that the Lord does for the nation of Israel. These miracles that the Lord is going to bring. In Psalm 145, 8 and 9, the Lord is described as this. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Throughout, when we look at at the New Testament, we look at the stories of Jesus, we look at the ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all record about the compassion of Jesus. They write about it. You see in the early church a lot of references to having the same mind and the same heart and the same attitude and the same spirit that was in Christ, walking in compassion. We see in the life of Jesus the compassion of God played out. We see a God who's concerned with healing and restoration and forgiveness and wholeness and life. Everything Kelly was talking about today, she's like, I'm so excited Because it's like she's seeing something. She's seeing the compassion of the Lord for us. We're seeing Jesus, someone who defends the weak and the poor and the children. God's compassion is on display in the life of Jesus. And I'm not going to put the the passages up on the screen because I want to read through them quickly. But I want to remind us of some of the other passages about Jesus' compassion. In Matthew 14, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him to this. He's trying to get away, have a little me time. Followed him on foot from the towns. Jesus lands and he sees a large crowd and he has compassion on them and he heals their sick. 
In Matthew 20, there's two men who are blind sitting by the side of the road, and they're crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received sight and followed him. In Luke 7, it says Jesus is approaching a town gate and there's a dead person being carried out. So he's coming to a town, encounters a funeral procession, and it's the only son of a widowed mother. So she's lost a husband and now losing her only son. A large crowd from the town was there. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. That his heart going out, similar language to compassion. Don't cry. He went up and touched the, the, the person they were carrying. They stood still and he said, young man, I said, you get up. And the dead man sat up and began to walk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. One more, Mark 6, 34 says this, when Jesus saw a large crowd, again, he's seeing, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. So you see this compassion in the life of Jesus and you see it coming out in different ways. You see this compassion coming out and touching someone and healing them. You see this compassion coming out in Jesus teaching them many things helping become that shepherd. Jesus leads with compassion. It's his worldview. It's his lens. He's like, I'm coming for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. He leads with compassion. Another quote here from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love this. He says this, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Jesus is looking on these crowds and he's looking at their suffering. And Stanley talked last week in, in communion about this idea of us and them, how we look at one another, what we do, what we omit to do. And, and, and I love Bonhoeffer's reminder, are we looking at people in light of what they suffer? Are we entering into their world in that way? In Latin, uh, the Latin word for, for compassion is compati, which means to suffer with. Compassion means somebody else's heartbreak becomes your heartbreak. Another's suffering becomes your suffering. True compassion changes the way we live. You see in Jesus this idea of this compassion leading to action. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed. We can be overwhelmed. Jesus looked at the crowds and he's overwhelmed with what he saw. He's, he's, he's got this compassion that wells up in him. And, and, but he doesn't stop with the emotion. He doesn't stop with the feeling. He doesn't stop with the empathy. He doesn't, that, that's not where he, he stops. The compassion takes him somewhere. The compassion leads somewhere. The compassion leads to action. In 1 John 3, John reminds us of this. He says, in verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, 
and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion? How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions show that we belong to the truth so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Compassion leads to action. If you remember the story uh, in Acts, Peter and John in Acts 3, they're going to the temple to worship and they encounter someone who's, who's begging, who's asking for money. And what I love about this story is that they look at Peter and John and, or, and, and they catch eyes and Peter and John look at them and they say this, they said, look at us. And the man looks at them and he's lame and, he, and he's expecting money. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. Sometimes when we think about compassion and, and action, sometimes we think about, man, I'm going to have to step out in things that I don't have. I love that Peter and John are like, we don't have this, but we'll give you what we have. And he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man is healed. But this action is associated to something that they have. The Lord's given them something. The Lord's given them something to give, and they give what they have to give. I was reading an article uh, over the weekend, or earlier in the week, from the Harvard Business Review. And um, they, uh, they were talking, and they wrote an article. This, there's about three people who wrote this article about compassion. And they were talking about this in light of the last few years and how it is to be a leader in business. So this is a, a business article that, uh, that I was reading about. And they were talking about how important it's been for leaders to connect and understand and have empathy in their workplaces and to lead differently. And so the last few years have required so many new things of all of us. And so this article is trying to tackle that idea of how do leaders in business think about how they lead. What I liked about the article, the, the title was Connect with Empathy, but Lead with Compassion. And, um, and I'll, I'll, if you could put up this slide, I thought it was a really profound statement. They said this, compassion occurs when we take a step away from empathy and ask ourselves, what we can do to support the person who is suffering. In this way, compassion is an intention versus an emotion. And they have this progression here so that you see this graph. Sorry for the copy and paste, but that's as good as you get from online. And uh, sorry for these projectors too. Online, you guys get the best view. Uh, you get the, the best quality. huh? So I'm going to read it. So starting in the left-hand corner, this is an XY uh, graph. And it, it, the, the idea of the, the vertical graft is uh, willingness to act to support someone. And the bottom uh, line, the x-axis, is understanding of others' experiences. So the bottom line is how much do we understand what people are experiencing? And the top line is our willingness to act and support. And the first uh, box, the first progression along those lines is pity. And the definition there of pity is, I feel sorry for you, <laughs> Right? It's a, it's a very low-level response, but I pity you. I feel sorry for you. Sympathy, I feel for you. Empathy, I feel with you. And compassion is, I'm here to help. 
And it, when, I, when I read this article, um, I couldn't help, as I was reading all these other scripture passages, see so many similarities. And we're going to see when we get back into Matthew chapter 9, that there's this compassion of Jesus um, does the same thing. It doesn't stop with empathy. The compassion says, I'm here to help. And there's a walking out. There's an action associated with compassion. I'm here to help. This article I thought was really encouraging. I sent it to some different um, business people that I know saying, hey, I think this might be encouraging because I don't know about you, but I can, we can become overwhelmed with empathy. I mean, pick a story, pick, pick something in your own personal life, in your family, in your friends, in our culture, in the nation, in the world, pick it and we can become overwhelmed with empathy. Overwhelmed to the, to the point of inaction. We can be crushed by empathy. And that's what this, the point of this article was encouraging business leaders. Don't stop at empathy. Don't be, you need to connect. You need to understand and feel with people, but you need to ask the next question. The article says this, as leaders, as leaders, empathy may cloud our judgment and encourage bias and make us less effective at making wise decisions. However, it should not be completely avoided either. A leader without empathy is like an engine without a spark plug, simply won't engage. Empathy is essential for connection, and then we can leverage the spark to lead with compassion. So the, this article suggests this. Herein lies the challenge for most leaders. We tend to get trapped by our empathy, making us unable to shift to compassion. So they have six helpful things. They say this, take a mental and emotional step away. Ask what the person needs. We saw that in Jesus. All these people in Jesus sometimes would say, well, what is it that you need? What is it that you need? Remember the power of non-action. Coach others so they can find their own solution and practice self-care. So these are all six things. You could Google this Harvard Business Review article if you wanted to. I thought it was helpful. It reminded me of a story um, back in the 90s. I was helping, um, I, I became friends with um, a, uh, a mother and son who had relocated from Bosnia and they had been caught in the political conflict or the, the war conflict. They had lived in, a, um, lived in a camp there, were displaced and then were finally able to um, get out and come here and immigrate here. And uh, I think the boy was 14 or 15 and they had all sorts of challenges and and um, I bring up this story because there was so much uh, that I could be empathetic about, the hardship, the, the challenges, all those kinds of things. And as, but as we started getting to know them, and one of the things that we found, they needed help navigating social, the social security system. They didn't speak English. They didn't read English. They didn't know how to do anything. What, what did they need? What did they need to thrive? They needed help reading forms. They needed help um, interpreting mail. They needed help understanding how to navigate simple things, uh, things that would be simple to me, not simple to them. And, I, and man, there was a deep love and a deep empathy and a deep compassion. What, did, what do I think I brought to them? I don't know. I think I helped connect them with a lawyer and I helped read forms for them and I helped do things and I helped them get funding. And I remember that day when they, they got funding and they'd been waiting for funding and waiting for funding and they got to go shopping. And they got to buy a bed. And they got to buy a couch. And they got to buy 
the things that, they, that you need to have in an apartment to live. And man, I think that's compassion. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. I, I'm saying that to illustrate that compassion is, is action. It takes the next step. It says, how can I help? What do I do next? So I want to read a, a passage out of Luke 7. And I didn't put it up on the screen intentionally because I want us to, I want you to, to listen. I want you to listen to this story. Hopefully we'll, we'll hear it again in an, in, with fresh ears. But I'm going to read Luke 7, starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus over for a meal. He went to the Pharisee's house and sat down at the dinner table. Just then a woman of the village, the town harlot, having learned that Jesus was a guest in the home of the Pharisee, came with a bottle of very expensive perfume and stood at his feet, weeping, raining tears on his feet. Letting down her hair, she dried his feet, kissed them, and anointed them with perfume. When the Pharisee, who invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, this man was a prophet. I thought he, the prophet I thought he was. He would have known what kind of woman this is who is falling all over him. Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. This must be the Pharisee. Oh, tell me. Two men were in debt to a banker. One owed 500 pieces of silver, the other 50. Neither of them could pay up. So the banker canceled both debts. Which of the two would be more grateful? Simon answered, I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. That's right, said Jesus. Then turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon, he said, do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting, but the, from the time I arrived, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for freshening up, but she has soothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? She was forgiven many, many sins, so she's very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Then he spoke to her, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guests talking behind his back. What, who does he think he is forgiving sins? He ignored them and said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story because I think it illustrates and shows that our, Jesus's compassion wasn't only expressed in healing, physically healing or casting out a demon or doing a miracle. It was expressed in bringing dignity and honor to people where there was no dignity and honor. The Pharisees said, do you know what kind of woman this is? Do you know who this is? Do you know what type of person this is? Do you know what label this person is? Do you know what box this person fits in? You should be treating them according to their title, their box. You should be treating them according to their label. Richard Rohr has this quote. He says this, in the gospels, you rarely see Jesus upset with sinners. Rather, what you see is Jesus upset with people who don't think they're sinners. And as, 
last week when Stanley was talking about us and them, um, I then read this story the day after, and, and it felt a little bit like an us and them story, a Pharisee at dinner and a woman who's coming. It felt to me like an us and them story. And I think the distinction that Jesus makes in this us and them story is who recognizes their need for forgiveness? Who recognizes their sin? Who recognizes it? Religion and law, they're dehumanizing to people. Compassion restores the heart of God to a cruel and litigious world. Religious leaders of the day, they were afraid. They were afraid of people. The law was cruel and clumsy and imperfect. Could you imagine how long it would have taken in that community for this woman to restore her dignity, to restore her identity, to be restored in community? There was, there, it wasn't going to happen. But one encounter with Jesus changed everything. She came right to the source, right to the source. It's like a fast pass at Disneyland. You skip to the front of the line. She skipped to the front of the line, to the front of the line. She was in the front. Jesus was at, put her right at the front of the line. Dehumanizing people is what religion does. It puts labels and titles and boxes ahead of people's humanity. What do we see first? What do we allow to define the relationship the most? Rich Viotis has this quote about Jonah. If you remember Jonah being called to a people in Nineveh, he says this, Jonah's story is a cautionary tale for us. He demonstrates that one can receive abundant grace, but still carry abundant anger when God is good to people we don't like. That's Jonah's story. So compassion, compassion challenged the religion of the day. Compassion challenged, Jesus challenged the religion and the fear of the day in how he interacted with each person. Compassion brings dignity and forgiveness and acceptance. Compassion brought this teaching and this understanding and this clarity of the kingdom of God. Compassion brought healing and deliverance, good news for all people. It brought action to empathy. It took empathy and moved it into action. And Jesus was saying, where are the good shepherds? If you remember in John, it says that he's a good shepherd. And here in Matthew's recording, like sheep without a shepherd, he's showing what a good shepherd looks like. Compassion translates into action. So I want to go back to that Matthew 9 where we started. And I want us to um, remember this. So we read this. Jesus traveled through the towns, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. The second thing I want to hit on today, compassion is first. The second is that compassion translates into prayer. Compassion translates into prayer. 
Jesus is like, are you gripped with this compassion? I don't know. Maybe he was thinking his disciples weren't as compassionate as him. They probably weren't. If you read some of their interactions, they want to call fire down in places. And he's like, man, you guys might need to pray a little bit more to get my compassion. But he calls the disciples to pray. I love that we're doing this prayer app thing and we're encouraging one another. I think part of our time and part of our calling is to be people of prayer, praying that the Lord was going to send out workers into the harvest. So this ends Matthew 9. It says, pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. And the next verse starts Matthew 10, verse 1. And it says this, summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he names them. These are the people of the 12 apostles. And I'm not going to read them for the sake of time, but they're there. And the next, ver- the next slide, please, verse 5, says Jesus sent out these 12 after the giving them instructions. So he takes this compassion and he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest is going to send someone out. And then he actually says, okay, um, you 12, you're going to go. There's this action associated to this compassion. The sending out of the 12 is this action behind Jesus's compassion. He says, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter a Samaritan town. Instead, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosies, drive out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Let's just leave the slide up if you could for a minute. They went out. They went out to the others. The compassion, the prayer led to action, led to the disciples going, led to this engagement. I've been so encouraged in our community here. I'm, I'm hearing so many different stories of, of this happening in our community. It's happening in conversations with people, praying with people, caring for people. I feel like when I think about this being our time, I think we live in, at a time for us as a community that the Lord is calling us out. We going out to others. This compassion translates into action. The disciples going out, going to these different places. And it's interesting. It wasn't like, hey, go out and get more people to come back to Jesus. That wasn't practical in the time. That wasn't practical in the day. It was actually go out to where people are. Go to their villages. Go to their homes. Go to their places. Go to them. And in modern day church, it's a little bit about like, come to our building. Come to our place. Come here. And I've man, we're in a time the Lord's like, no, go to them, go out, pray in your work, pray in your home, pray where you, uh, where you have fun and where you're out with other people, but go out, go out. This week, my, my statement, last Sunday, Sarah said, what's going to be your I will statement? My I will statement is I will, I will go prayer walking. So I, on, uh, on Friday, I took some time to just walk in this neighborhood because I happened to be here instead of at home. So I was praying and walking in this neighborhood, asking the Lord's glory, asking the Lord's kingdom to come in these different places. I also love in this passage that Jesus is very specific. He gives them a very specific task, a very specific place to go, specific mission. Go to the, the people of Israel the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go here, don't go there. He didn't say don't go there because they weren't good places to go. 
He said, don't go there because it's not your time to go there. I've given you specific people, specific places to go, specific people to proclaim the kingdom, to do these things. Don't, don't try to take on the cares of the world. Don't, try to, don't be crushed by your empathy about everything that your compassion doesn't give you the option to move into the specific thing that you're called to do. We can be compassionate about something specific. Who has the Lord given you to be compassionate, to show his compassion and love to? Where has he shown you to do that to? Because we can all be collectors of empathy. We can be collectors of empathy about everything, crushed that we do nothing. Lord, what is the compassion that you're calling us and how does it translate specifically into who you're called us to go to? The Lord, he doesn't want us to give out of what we don't have. He wants us to give out of what we do have. The Lord wants us to be receivers of this great compassion so that we can give it away. Just like that woman who came at Jesus' feet received the ultimate compassion. That's where it starts. So what happened afterwards? And there's a lot, there's uh, recordings of this in Matthew and Mark and Luke. Uh, in Luke 9, it says this. So Luke, Luke also recorded this. And it says in Luke 9, after they had gone out and done this, um, if you could put up the, the Luke 9 slide, it says this. They went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So they're doing this, and Herod hears about it. So Herod's like the governor of the region. Uh, Herod the Tetrarch heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, others that one of the ancient prophets had ridden. He's like, I beheaded John. He's like, I took care of that guy. But who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see him. He wanted to see Jesus. What's interesting is that Herod is like, is this John the Baptist? Is this Elijah? Is this Jesus? Who is this? And it's like, well, it's actually the twelve. It, it, it actually wasn't Jesus doing any of these things. It was Jesus's people. It was Jesus's disciples that were doing those things. It's you and I. Jesus is getting the credit for his disciples' ministry, the audacity, the audacity. What are Jesus's followers known for? What are we known for? What credit is attributed to Jesus based on our actions? That's a hard question, isn't it? Is the message about Jesus's followers good news and healing like we just read? I hope so. I hope that what people think about when they think about us as Jesus's followers today are good news and healing. Do we walk in the same compassion as Jesus? Are people experiencing dignity and acceptance and forgiveness? You know, this us and them thing that Stanley mentioned last week, Jesus even addresses some of this in Mark 9. The disciples are like, uh, Jesus, we're worried because there's a group of people over there that are casting out demons in your name, and they're not a part of us. They're not, you know, traveling with us. And Jesus is like, don't stop them. He says, no one who performs miracles in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. He's like, yes, us, you hear that us in language? He's like, no, they're us and we're us, we're all us. 
But Jesus goes on with one caution. He says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, that's a problem. If, if, if Jesus has got a problem with anything, if Jesus has got an issue with anyone, he's saying this, do you cause a little one who trusts in me to fall into sin? Do you create obstacles? Do you create issues? Do you create challenges? He's like, are you misrepresenting me? That's where I have a problem. That's another message for another day, but there's a lot in Mark 9 about that. All right, last bit of this, and I, I want to bring this back to us. So Luke 8 describes this group of disciples, these, this, this us group of people. And we've talked about compassion leading to prayer, leading to action. We also read freely, Jesus says to his disciples, freely you've been given. Freely you have received, freely give. I mean, want to encourage us today in compassion, prayer, action, and generosity. The last in Luke 8, I love this passage, Luke 8. Let's read this. After this, so after chapter 7, whatever happened in chapter 7. It's actually the story we just read. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, so we've heard about this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Let's, let's leave that up. Huh? Yeah, they were the money. Meg knows it. Meg keeps saying it. She keeps saying amen. The women were the financiers of Jesus's ministry. Um, there's even, there's speculation that Joanna might have been Junia, who's referred to uh, in, in Acts by Paul, um, that, that Junia might have been her Greek name and Joanna might have been her Hebrew name, but uh, that's only speculation. But Joanna, I mean, talk about some serious funding things. Jesus is getting money from Joanna out of Herod's household. Where's this funding coming from? It's a pretty interesting passage here. I love Luke is always good about including men and women. If you read Luke, he's almost always in every chapter saying, this happened to this dude, this happened to this lady. He's just like always, um, he's always talking about the men and the women that follow Jesus. He's always mirroring that, and he even does it in this passage. What I love about, uh, this was also scandalous in the day. It was scandalous in the day that these women would be, a, would be counted with Jesus' disciples and would be traveling from town to town. That didn't happen. You didn't do that at the time. This was scandalous. They journeyed together. I love how uh, intentional, how all in they were. How, and, and this came out of their own personal experiences. The women, they were cured of diseases and evil spirits. They were set free. They're like, I've experienced this Jesus. And man, I want to go and I, wanna, I want others to experience this Jesus. I've experienced the compassion and the freedom and the healing of this Jesus. And I want to go. This visible church, they journeyed together. They went from place to place. And Jesus gets credit for all of it. For us today, I, 
I titled this message, Our Time. And I feel like for our community, the Lord is highlighting this today, that he's, he's, we've, we've been speaking in the month of uh, March here about all things new. And man, I, I feel like, and, we, and Sarah spoke last week about Jesus going to the poor and what did that look like? And, um, and I've, I've felt such a passion today for these, these passages because they translate from Jesus showing compassion, Jesus having a heart of compassion to his people going out, his followers, his disciples, you and I going out. And this calling that we have, this intentionality that we have, this is our time as Jesus's followers to be people of compassion, people of prayer, people of action, people of generosity, and people that are intentional. The Lord has given us intentional things to do. He's put us here in Sandy in 2022 for a specific reason. And he's He's looked at each one of us and he's healed me. He's cast spirits out of me. He's done so many things in me. He's, and, and what is my call? What is my call? How is it that I walk out intentionally in compassion and healing and love? We're called as a community to be like this group here in Luke 8, the 12 that they named, you know? Who are the 12 that they named? It's Meg, Shannon, Kevin, Christian, Eric. We're a community that the Lord has called. And I just want to encourage you. I feel like the Lord wants to highlight for you. Is it compassion? Are, are you crying out to the Lord? Lord, give me eyes to see the way you see. Is it prayer? Does, is the Lord driving you and highlighting going deeper in prayer? action? How does your compassion translate into not helping the world, helping the person? Helping the person. Who are you called to have compassion on? Who are you called to love? Generosity. Man, generosity is so big. Freely we have been received. Freely give. He's talking to the disciples about this crazy compassion. I love that the women here, the generosity that flows out of the, these women is like, man, we've got to do this. I want to ask you for us as a local church the, to be intentional about generosity. I think the Lord is building something great here. Would you pray and ask the Lord if it's generosity, is the Lord calling you to be generous here? We need it. We need it in many ways. Intentional the people and the place and the time that we're called to go to, intentionality. I want to end by praying. So if you could just stand with me. I want to say this as well. When we're talking about Jesus and his compassion, maybe you haven't even experienced it yourself. You haven't experienced Jesus being compassionate and forgiving to you. Maybe you feel dehumanized. Maybe you're that victim. When Jesus looked at the crowds and they were distressed and they were distraught like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is, he's sitting at the table just, and that woman who came up and washed his feet, and he just wants more and more and more and more. That's what religion looks like to him. 
getting to the front of the line, bypassing the, the classifications of the religious classifications of the day. And he says, he wants to restore your life. He wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you of all your sins. He wants to restore your dignity and your identity. He wants to bring you healing and freedom. He doesn't care what kind of person you are. He doesn't care. He says, come to me. I'm waiting for you. In fact, in Luke 15, it says this. Jesus is telling the story about the father who sees the son returning. And he says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. That's how Jesus is looking at you today. He's looking at you with compassion and love. And he's running to you. He's embracing you and kissing you. And he says he wants to celebrate you. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost and now you're found. So begin the party. So if you've never received, if you've never come to Jesus and received his compassion and his love, he's inviting you today. He's saying, come, come, come. There's an invitation to all of us. We all need that, that parable that I read, the only difference between us and them is how much do we really need, see our need for Jesus and see ourselves as sinners. That's it. Come to him. He has love and compassion for you. Lord, we come to you this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning. You're the good shepherd. You showed us what good shepherds look like. You showed us what a good shepherd looks like. And Lord, we say in this time, in this place, in our lives, we want to be good shepherds to each person we, we meet. Lord, you're sending us out as your disciples. You're commissioning as you're calling us as your disciples. Lord, fill us with compassion. Fill us with compassion. Lord, make us people of prayer. Lord, show us how to act. Make us people of action. Lord, generosity, God, all we have is yours. We want to be generous people with every person that we're around. We want to pour out generosity. And Lord, help us be intentional. Lord, you've called us. You've called each one of us at this time in this place, where we live, where we work, the people that we're around. You've called us. We want them to be able to say, we've seen Jesus and the goodness of the Lord because they've encountered one of his disciples. They've encountered us. So we just speak that excitement that Kelly Joe had, that excitement that's bursting out, that just is, this is a time and this is a season for people to know the God of compassion who loves them. Lord, we thank you that you're with us, that you love us, and that you're for us. Lord, I bless our church community I bless us as we go from here today. I pray, Lord, that you would just send us out to the places you've put us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.